Heavenly Father, we recognise that we were once like lost sheep. We had gone astray. But now we have returned to our shepherd, to the overseer of our souls. And so, Lord, we ask that you would help us as your flock this morning, not to forget your commands, but to live according to your ways as we look at them this morning. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, this morning we come to the end of our series in the book of Micah. Uh, we come to Micah chapter 7 and the closing words. And Micah closes his book uh, in these final verses that you see at the end of chapter 7 by playing on his name, really, by asking this question that we see in verse 18, who is a God like you? Who is a God like you? He has established so much about the Lord through the book of Micah. And now he asks the question, who is a God like you? Micah means in Hebrew, who is like you? Uh, who is like you? And that's what he's doing when he talks about God here. Who is like the God of Israel? And the answer is no one. No one. No other God is like the God of Israel. Why is that? Why is there no other God like the God of Israel. Verse 18 tells us, who is a God like you who pardons sin and forgives the transgression of the remnant of his inheritance? You do not stay angry forever, but delight to show mercy. Who is a God like the God of Israel? No one, because the God of Israel is a God who pardons sin. He is a God who pardons the sin of his inheritance, of his people, and forgives their transgression. In fact, God who does get angry against sin, and we've seen that in the pages of Micah, you can't deny that God is angry towards sin. But here at the end of the book, it finishes with this note of hope, this note of hope that God is a God who, yes, he acts justly and gets angry with sin, but what does God delight in? What does the God of Israel delight in, the Lord delight in? He delights to show mercy. He rejoices. He delights in mercy. And this is wonderful news for the people of Israel and for us today, that God is a God who delights to show mercy. Because if God was just a God of justice, then we would be in great danger from our sin. And we've seen that in the pages of Micah, that there's destruction and judgment for those who sin against God. And the reality of all of the human race is that we all sinned against God and we all deserve destruction and judgment from God. But if God is a God of mercy, then the message of Micah is that if we come in repentance and trust of God, then he forgives us our sins. What does repentance look like? What does it mean to trust in the Lord? Well, we get told that in Micah chapter 7, verse 8, where we read Micah 7, verse 8, Do not gloat over me, my enemy. Though I have fallen, I will rise. Though I sit in darkness, the Lord will be my light. See, that's a faith of a person who knows the Lord and knows his mercy. And then verse 9, we see repentance is displayed. Verse 9, Because I have sinned against him, I will bear the Lord's wrath until he pleads my case and establishes my right. He will bring me out into the light. I will see his righteousness. That's repentance right there. Someone admitting that they have sinned against God, that they deserve what they are receiving, that it's from the Lord. They bear God's judgment. But they know that God will bring them out into the light. They trust that they will see God's righteousness, that God's righteousness will be put to their account. And if you want another example of repentance, you can see it with the nations in verse 16. 
Verse 16, I mean, before that it's speaking of, of Israel, but here in verse 16, we see Micah describe the nations and their repentance. Verse 16, nations will see and be ashamed, deprived of all their power. They will lay their hands on their mouths and their ears will become deaf. They will lick dust like a snake, like creatures that crawl on the ground. They will come trembling out of their dens. They will turn in fear to the Lord our God and will be afraid of you. There's repentance there for you as well. People admitting their place before the living God, crawling, trembling before God, turning from their sins and fearing the Lord where previously they were unafraid to sin against him. But how does God, the God of Israel stand out from the gods of other nations? Because that's what's being asked there in verse 18. As Micah finishes the book, he plays with his name there and says, who is like you? Who is a God like you? And the answer is no one, because God is a God who pardons sin. But don't the, the gods of other nations pardon sin as well? Don't we look at other nations and see their gods and that they have some mechanism for forgiveness of sins? How great is the mercy of the God of Israel? Well, Micah goes on to give us this wonderful image of verse 19. Micah chapter 7, verse 19 you will, have, you will again have compassion on us. You will tread our sins underfoot and hurl all our iniquities into the depths of the sea. How great is the God of Israel? He's a God who shows compassion, who delights in mercy to the point of picking up the sins of his people and hurling them into the depths of the sea. That is what uh, is being described even back in verse 18, where he says, he, who pardons sin. The, the Hebrew word there is a common word for picking up something. He picks up the sin off his people's shoulders. And what does he do with them? Verse 19 tells us he hurls them into the depths of the sea. So great is his mercy. So much does he delight in mercy compared to the gods of other nations that he takes their sin completely away from them and hurls them into the depths of the sea. And there's a very strong allusion given here to help us understand the mercy of God in this description. It's a strong allusion given to the Exodus, given to the Exodus. What happened with the Exodus? Well, as you heard during the children's talk, you were reminded of, the Israelites left Egypt. They were set free from their slavery to the Egyptians. They left Egypt, but they were stuck at the Red Sea. And the Egyptians changed their mind and decided to chase the Israelites and bring them back into slavery. And so the Israelites were stuck there at the Red Sea and the Lord then delivered them by dividing the Red Sea before them so they could walk through safely. And then what happened when the Israelites passed through safely? The Lord brought back the waters over the Egyptian army and destroyed the Egyptians. And this was a key moment in the history of the Israelites because this put to an end the Egyptian rule over the Israelites. They could now pass through into the wilderness and then into the promised land without fear of any sort of repercussions from the Egyptians because the, Israel, the Egyptian army had been destroyed. The Egyptian army had been destroyed in the sea. And Exodus 15 speaks of this in song. Let's turn with me now to that place there. Exodus chapter 15. And you'll see how many allusions there are to what we've read just in Micah chapter 7. Micah chapter 7 is picking up on the history of the Exodus and particularly this song of Moses. Exodus chapter 15. Exodus is the second book of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus. 
Exodus chapter 15, and I'm going to read most of the chapter. And think of the question that Michael was asking. Who is like you, God, who shows compassion, who shows mercy, who delights in mercy, and hurls sin into the depths of the sea? And now listen to what the Israelites knew God had done to the Egyptians. Chapter 15, verse 1. The Israelites have come through on dry land and then the, the Egyptians have been destroyed at the end of chapter 14. And then we read in verse 1 of chapter 15 of Exodus, Then Moses and the Israelites sang this song to the Lord. I will sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. The horse and its rider he has hurled into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. He is my God and I will praise him. My father's God and I will exalt him. The Lord is a warrior. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his army he has hurled into the sea. The best of Pharaoh's officers are drowned in the Red Sea. The deep waters have covered them. They sank to the depths like a stone. Your right hand, O Lord, was majestic in power. Your right hand, O Lord, shattered the enemy. In the greatness of your majesty, you threw down those who opposed you. You unleashed your burning anger. It consumed them like stubble. By the blast of your nostrils, the waters piled up. The surging waters stood firm like a wall. The deep waters congealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy boasted, I will pursue, I will overtake them, I will divide the spoils, I will gorge myself on them. I will draw my sword and my hand will destroy them. But you blew with your breath and the sea covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. Who among the gods is like you, O Lord? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glory, working wonders? You stretched out your right hand and the earth swallowed them. In your unfailing love, you will lead the people you have redeemed. In your strength, you will guide them to your holy dwelling. The nations will hear and tremble. Anguish will grip the people of Philistia. The chiefs of Edom will be terrified. The leaders of Moab will be seized with trembling. The people of Canaan will melt away. Terror and dread will fall upon them. By the power of your arm, they will be as still as a stone until your people pass by, O Lord, until the people you brought, bought pass by. You will bring them in and plant them on the mountain of your inheritance, the place, O Lord, you made for your dwelling, the sanctuary, O Lord, your hands established. The Lord will reign forever and ever. When Pharaoh's horses, chariots and horsemen went into the sea, the Lord brought the waters of the sea back over them, but the Israelites walked through the sea on dry ground. Then Miriam the prophetess, Aaron's sister, took a tambourine in her hand and all the women followed her with tambourines and dancing. Miriam sang to them, Sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. The horse and its rider he has hurled into the sea. So you see what Micah's doing in Micah chapter 7. He is picking up on this event, this historic event, for the salvation of the Israelites, that they would be remembered again and again through the generations to the point that Micah was ministering in, of when the Egyptian army was hurled into the sea. And Micah, therefore, is saying in Micah chapter 7 that there's a new exodus. There's a new exodus for God's people. And what is that exodus? That exodus is that the sin of the Israelites is picked up off them and hurled 
into the sea, that those who repent of their sins have those sins picked up and hurled into the sea. God says, you know those sins of yours that you feel so enslaved to, that you can't seem to break? I've picked them up and I've drowned them in the depths of the sea, he says there in verse 19 of Micah chapter 7. You will again have compassion on us. You will tread our sins underfoot and hurl all our iniquities into the depths of the sea. And what's that mean? You've come through the sea. You've come through the sea, as the Israelites did so many years before, literally. You've come through the sea and you've left your enemies behind. Your sins have been left behind and you've begun a new life. Begun a new life. Yes, it means a journey through a desert, but it ends in a promised land and it ends in the Lord's holy hill. And this is the case for us too today who are repentant of our sins. This applies to us. Micah chapter 7 applies to us as well because we have passed through a Red Sea as well. We can apply this passage to us as Christians. We have passed through a Red Sea as well. What Red Sea? Well, it's a sea red with Christ's blood, which is what Micah 7 is pointing to, pointing to the Messiah's blood that one day would be the sea upon, upon which all our sins are hurled. Paul says in chapter 6 of Romans that we were slaves to sin. We were like the Israelites so many years ago in Egypt. We had slavers, and it was our sins that were our slavers. But we have been baptised. We have been immersed into Christ's death and come out alive. Romans chapter 6, verse 3. Turn with me there. Romans chapter 6, verse 3. The passage that we had read before. Romans chapter 6, verse 3. Or don't you know that all of us who were baptised into Christ Jesus were baptised into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. We've been immersed. That's why I'm a Baptist as well. I love that word baptism. It means we've been immersed into Christ's death and we've come back to life out of it. But we've left our sins behind in the pool that is Jesus' blood, in the sea that is Jesus' blood. Verse 5, if we have been united with him like this in his death, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin, what happens to it, might be done away with. That we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. We were slaves to sin, but we've been immersed into the Red Sea of Christ's blood. Red with Christ's blood. We've come back out of it and the body of sin has been done away with. So that we're no longer slaves to it. We've been set free. We've experienced an exodus. The Spirit has taken our sin and immersed it, hurled it, hurled our sin into the depths of Christ's blood. And so we understand here in Micah chapter 7, the certainty of our salvation. The certainty of our salvation. The imagery that's given here of the depths of the sea is meant to show us that 
God's mercy is profound. It's not like the mercy of other nations. That our salvation is guaranteed. If our sin has been hurled into the depths of the sea, it's no longer, it has no longer any mastery over us. I've been on cruise ships out in the middle of the ocean. There's nothing else that you can see in sight, no land in sight. And I look over the rail, and if I was to drop something over, I know that it's gone. It's gone. We saw with that Malaysian airline flight 370, it went down in the the ocean somewhere. Massive amount of money was spent searching for it. So many searches made for that large plane, a plane that apparently had a maximum takeoff weight of 300 tonnes. I think of my car, minivan, weighs about a tonne. 300 Tarragos dropped into the ocean. They couldn't find them. They couldn't find that plane. It was in the depths of the sea. And once it's in the depths of the sea, it's gone. If there was any uncertainty about our sin, God wouldn't have said, I'll put it in the depths of the sea. I would have, he says, I'll put it on the shoreline. He doesn't say, I'll put it on the shoreline. He says, I'll put it in the depths of the sea. Sin no longer has any mastery over us. We have no fear of our sin because God is a God who delights in mercy and his mercy is so great, he picks up our sin and hurls it into the depths of the Red Sea, the sea red with Christ's blood. And once it goes in there, it goes down and no longer is any threat to us. But we must remember that this message is for the repentant. We saw that in Micah chapter 7. It talks about the repentant people. Even the nations there in verse 16 and 17. It says in verse 19 that he hurls all our iniquities into the depths of the sea. You could translate that as their iniquities, as some translations do, referring back to the nations there in verse 16 and 17. He hurls their iniquity into the depths of the sea, the repentant ones. Whereas the unrepentant, what happens to them? Well, they still bear their sin and they face the consequences of their sin. And what happens to the unrepentant? Well, they're hurled into a sea with their sin. What sea are they hurled into? What body of water are they hurled into? Well, Revelation chapter 20, verse 15 tells us that if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. I'm not sure what that lake of fire looks like in terms of water and fire, but it is not a place you would want to go. But that's what happens to those who are unrepentant, to those who still have their sin upon them. And is there any relief from that lake of fire? No, because they sink with their sin. They sink and their sin will hold them down for eternity in that lake of fire. There's no picking up and taking their sin off their shoulders and throwing it into the Red Sea of Christ's blood and therefore they can come out of the lake of fire. No, there is no escape once you are hurled with your sin into that lake of fire. So if there's anyone here who can hear my voice and is unrepentant of their sin, I encourage you, turn to God now. Admit your sin. Turn to God and trust in his forgiveness. Who is like God? 
a God who gets angry at sin but loves mercy so much that he put his anger upon his son. And a son who loves mercy so much, delights in mercy so much that he took that anger of those who turn from their sins. Repent of your sins now and trust that the Holy Spirit has lifted your sins off your shoulders and hurled them into the depths of the, Christ, of the sea of Christ's blood. But if you are a believer, how do we respond to Micah chapter 7? How should we respond? Well, when we're conscious of fresh sin in our lives, what should we do? We should repent. We should turn from our sin. We should repent quickly and ask God to take that sin from our shoulders and hurl it into the depths of the sea of Christ's blood. It's the fastest way to break a cycle of sin that's in your life. As soon as you become conscious of sin, turn from it. Repent. Admit your sin to God and ask for forgiveness and ask that he hurl your sin away from you. What else should we do? Well, we should sing God's praises. We see that back in Exodus. What is the response of the Israelites? What's the response of Moses? What's the response of Miriam to the deliverance of the Israelites from their enemies? Their slavers are now drowned. What should be our response when we see our slavers drowned in the depths of the sea? should be to praise God. Praise God and say, who is like our God? And praise him accordingly. We saw that with Moses and Miriam. They said in Exodus chapter 15, verse 1 to 2, I will sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. The horse and its rider he has hurled into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. He is my God, and I will praise him, my Father's God, and I will exalt him. They praise God because of the Exodus. We too have experienced an Exodus. Should we not praise God for the Exodus we have experienced? that the horse and its rider have been hurled into the sea. We should joyfully sing even those hymns that have been given to us about the Exodus and that speak of the washing away of our sins in the depth of the sea. Like Cowper's hymn, there is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins and sinners plunged Beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains, lose all their guilty stains, lose all their guilty stains. And sinners plunge beneath that flood, lose all their guilty stains. That's a song we should sing. And we will sing, Lord willing, at the end of this service. We sing of the fountain filled with blood, that red sea which we've gone into but come out of and left our sins behind. So the first thing we should do in response to this as Christians is repent of our sins whenever we find them in our lives. Second is we should sing God's praise. Third thing that we should do, well, we shouldn't do, is that we should not fish repentant sins out of the Red Sea. We should not go fishing in the Red Sea when God throws our sin into the depths of the sea, as it says there in Micah 7, not the shore of the sea, into the depths of the sea, what is God effectively doing? He's putting up a no-fishing sign. This is my sea. I made it with Christ's blood, and it's mine, and what goes in there is not to be fished back out. 
And a similar idea is given in Jeremiah 31, verse 34. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. And it's quoted in Hebrews, in twi- twice in Hebrews, that verse. That he will remember our sins no more. So we are what to do what? We're not to remember our sins anymore either. We're meant to follow his example. Psalm 103, that passage that we opened the service with, has that marvellous image of what it means to have our sins removed from us. Psalm 103, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. What does that mean? We're not meant to go finding them again and bringing them back into our lives. Now, why do I need to say this? Why do I need to say, don't go fishing in the Red Sea? Because we're very good at doing it. We like fishing around in the Red Sea. How? Well, we like fishing up our own sins. We like fishing up our own sins and bringing them back out. What do we like? Well, we're like a dog that fishes around in a sea of blood, drags out some mass that was previously vomited up into that Red Sea and has a good gnaw on it again. Brings that sin back out. And it tastes good at first to dwell on that sin that we repented of before and asked for forgiveness and trusted that God had forgiven. We have a good gnaw on it. We meditate upon it again. That sin that I committed in the past. But what eventually happens? We get food poisoning off it. We get food poisoning. Fresh sins come as a result of having a gnaw on that sin that was plunged into the depths of the Red Sea. And what's the only solution then? We have to go and have a good vomit back into the Red Sea. Vomit up, confess those sins back along with the new sin that we've been experiencing as we've gnawed on that previously forgiven sin. I also need to say this, that we need to stop fishing around in the Red Sea because we don't only like fishing up our own sin, but we love fishing up the repentant sin of others. Now, the Bible is very clear that if someone is unrepentant of their sin, we are to point it out to them and encourage them to vomit it up, confess it to the Lord so that it falls into the depths of the Red Sea. But if someone is repentant of their sin, what are we to do? What are we to do? We're meant to let that vomited up sin slide into the Red Sea and leave it there. We're not meant to keep bringing it up Colossians 3 verse 13 says, Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. That's why we pray in the Lord's Prayer as well. That we be forgiven as we forgive those who trespass against us. Which means if God's plunged our sin into the depths of the Red Sea, we should plunge the sins of others into the depths of the Red Sea and let them be, not keep bringing them up. There's something even worse that we do. It's that we love to fish up other people's sin and bring them home for others to have a gnaw on as well. We're like a dog who fishes around in the sea of blood and brings out someone else's vomit to come home and have a gnaw on. And we gnaw on that, and then we bring it for others to have a gnaw on too. And we all have a little joyful experience. It tastes good at first to join in, feasting on what someone else has already handed over to the Lord in repentance. But what eventually happens? Well, we get sick, don't we? What should we have done? We should have said when they brought in that rotting mass that they've fished out of a sea of blood to us, they bring someone else's sin to us, we should have said, get that thing out of here. 
get it out of here. That's what you do if a dog brought something rotten into the house. You'd say, get it out of here. I don't want that in here. We get a stick if we need to, too. Get the sword of the Spirit, God's Word. Use the flat edge of it, maybe not the sharp edge. Tell them, get it out of here. I don't want to hear about other people's sin. It's gossip. But what do we do? We like to have a little bit of a gossip with the person about it. Like to gnaw on that sin that has been put in the depths of the sea. And what happens then? Well, we all get sick. And we all have to have a bit of a group vomit after that if we want to get better. Confess the sin of gnawing on someone else's sin, of gossiping and slandering. Have to vomit it up and put it back into the depths of the Red Sea, the sea of Christ's blood, if we want to make any progress. So are you guilty of illegal fishing? Of fishing in the Red Sea? I must confess that I am. I'm all too good at fishing up my own sin that I've repented of and mulling over it, having a gnaw on it. I'm all too good at fishing up the sins of others, having a gnaw on them as well, and even sharing them with other people so they could have a gnaw on them too. What should we do? When we see our illegal fishing activity, we should repent. Repent and vomit it out as well into the depths of the Red Sea and know that it is forgiven. And what should we do in the future? What should we do in the future so that we leave sin in the depths of the sea and don't conduct illegal fishing activities? Well, we must view sin rightly. We must view sin rightly and hate it. How should we view sin? Well, we should view it as a rotten, disgusting piece of vomit putting you off your Sunday lunch here today. We need to view sin rightly. Too often we're like animals that think that something rotten is actually tasteful. We need to view sin rightly and know that it is rotten and will make us sick. If you've ever eaten something and then felt intensely sick afterwards... What do you do from then on for the rest of your life? You avoid that food. You avoid it. If some sort of seafood made you sick for days, very hard to convince you after that, at any point in your life, to try it again. That's how we're meant to view sin. We're meant to remember how sick it made us. It may taste good in the moment, but it made us terribly sick before. I'm going to let it go. Let it sink into the depths of the Red Sea. But how else do we stop our illegal fishing activities? View sin rightly, view it as disgusting, rotten vomit that was confessed up by someone and dropped into the Red Sea. But we should also view God's mercy rightly and delight in it and let, us, let it lead us to delight in the merciful one who shows that mercy. Remember the joy of knowing that that sin that you were so sick over, the joy of watching it slide down into the depths of the Red Sea, that it was forgiven and never to come back, that God says, I will remember it no more. I've removed it as far as the east is from the west. Isn't that, can you remember the joy of that experience of thinking, it's gone. I've confessed it, it's gone. So why would you bring it back? Remember the delight 
of knowing that that sin was forgiven. Just like you remember the delight of eating a food that made you not just taste something great, but made you feel good afterwards as well. And so, of course, you'll have it again and again and again and again. And so, of course, you will delight in God's mercy and not bring some disgusting sin back into your life to be a burden around your neck again or a burden to others. And, of course, you will then delight in the one who gives you that mercy. You'll delight in the Lord himself who delights in mercy. Our Lord delights in seeing our sin slide into the sea of his son's blood, never to come back out. He doesn't bring it back up. We sadly do, but he never does. He never fishes around in the Red Sea. Sin no longer has any mastery over us. The body of sin has been done away with. And so we can delight in what he has done and delight in him. So as we finish the book of Micah this morning, we've seen a lot of things about the Lord, seen his disgust in sin, seen his judgment, his wrath again and again through the pages of Micah. But as we come to the end of Micah, we have this question for us in verse 18. Who is a God like you? And how does the book of Micah end as he considers God? Is it the anger of God that Micah holds up to show that God is not like the God of other nations? No, it's the mercy of God that he holds up to show that God is not like the gods of other nations. As we ask this question, who is a God like our God? We have to answer no one. Why? Because he is a God who is angry at sin, but delights, rejoices in mercy, so much that he gave his one and only son, so much that he, the son, gave his own life. He delights in mercy that much. It was for the joy that was set before him that he went to the cross. He delighted in doing it, in providing a sea of blood, for our sins to be hurled into, to be picked up and hurled into and sink, to come back no more and have any mastery over us for eternity. Who is a God like our God? The answer is no one. Let's come to him in prayer. Let's speak with him. Heavenly Father, we praise you as a God who pardons sin. You are not like the gods of other nations. You pardon sin and you hurl iniquity into the depths of the sea, the sea of Christ's blood. We thank you for granting many of us repentance and for forgiving our sins. But Lord, we come before you and we confess that far too often we fish those sins back out, whether it be our sins or the sins of others. We ask that you would forgive us for fishing illegally in the Red Sea. And we ask that you would help us to view sin rightly, to view it as disgusting and rotten and vile, to see the sinfulness of sin and to view your mercy rightly so that we delight in mercy, not in sin, and we delight in our merciful God. And we pray this in your name. Amen.